Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hello and welcome to the podcast where I obsessively share every detail from Greek tragedies because they're just so good and wonderful and I can't leave anything out. And by that I mean this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am your host, Liv. Greek plays are really just such a thrill, you know? Like They're, for the most part, at least, these incredible pieces of art that not only provide entertainment, but also so many insights into the culture and practices of the time, into the people's priorities and how they might look at another city, what kind of judgments they might be passing on that other city or other people or so many other things. There's just, there's so much there. One day I will have someone on the show who can just talk Greek tragedy broadly, like the practices and festivals more than any individual play, that's a goal. But until then, I want to remind you all of a few things before we get too deep. First and foremost, the plays that survive to us today and the tragedians who wrote them, the big three, Aeschylus, Sophocles, and Euripides, 
Again, reminder, those are the three that survived today. There were tons of others. But these were all Athenians. The men who wrote them were Athenian and the plays were Athenian. And, and that's important not only because it's important where they came from, but it's also important in terms of the context of Greece. Greece was not some unified place or even a unified culture. They had shared cultural practices and certainly considered themselves to have connections with the other Greek people and city-states, but it's not like the country now or even how we think of any country now. They went to war with each other, they betrayed each other, and even when they teamed up, say, against the Persians, there were some who did a bit less teaming up against the Persians and a bit more siding with the Persians, Thebes being one of those places, at least at one point. So when we're talking about plays being set outside of Athens, it means a bit more than I think is obvious until you dive into these details. These plays are also set in the past, a kind of mythical past where the heroes of old still existed, or at least their family line did. But while the stories are set in the mythical past, they're obviously still influenced by the present day of the men who were writing the plays, and in this case, in classical Athens. Another important context is something I mentioned last week, so we'll only quickly remind you, but burying the dead was seriously, seriously important. It's even in Homer that we get a sense of just how horrific it was for the ancient Greek people not to give their dead proper burial. How tragic and, and dangerous it was to leave bodies out to rot for the animals to get them. Like, not only is it dangerous in terms of animals and disease, but it doesn't allow the dead to reach the underworld. It doesn't allow them any peace in death. It's a very, very rash decision and not one that anyone would make with any sense of duty or even understanding of the will of the gods. But it is also the crux of this play, this ruling by Creon that Polynices must not be buried, and worse, must not even be mourned, due to his role in this war against Thebes. And mourning, too, was one of the most important things you could do for a dead loved one, and not least because obviously mourning helps the person who's, well, in mourning, but it's also a cultural practice that helps ensure they have this good afterlife, or they make it to the underworld. Women mourning was a whole tradition in itself. There's these cries of lamentation, tearing at one's skin and hair. It was a show, kind of, that was put on. And I don't mean that in any kind of way that suggests it wasn't real emotions, but it was tradition and it was dramatic and, and impactful and meaningful. It was how you mourned when you were feeling all of those very real emotions. And, as is always so relevant, Sophocles was writing in a time and a place where women, uh, particularly in Athens, had very, very little power. And frankly, that's putting it kindly. Antigone may be in Thebes, and she may be a mythical character from generations past, but she is ultimately an Athenian woman because she's being presented by an Athenian man to an audience of probably Athenian men. There's debate as to whether women were ever allowed to actually watch the plays, and, and even more debate as to whether the women who were always able to watch were heteri, that is, fancy Athenian sex workers. But we certainly know the primary and intended audience of this play were Athenian men, and primarily not men who thought much about the rights of women or in their independence. I think we can be pretty sure of that. And so that is the world that, that Antigone is existing in, and it influences everything about this play and her character very specifically.
this is episode 189. Sometimes laws are meant to be broken. Sophocles' Antigone, part two. Where we last left Antigone, she had announced to her sister Ismene that she'd planned to bury and mourn their brother, Polynices, regardless of Creon's orders, regardless of the fact that doing so was almost certain to get her a very public execution. She felt it was necessary, that it was the right thing to do, was what she was meant to do. Ismene, her sister, wanted Antigone to lay low, to stay safe, Ismene is often presented as being a more negative figure here, or or passive, I guess, because she doesn't stand up with Antigone. But I also think Ismene is being real and rational. She knows the world she lives in, and, and she just wants to keep living in it. Both sisters have valid feelings and motivations here. I, I certainly do not want to pick one over the other. Still, all of that happened before the chorus sang to us of all the tragedy in Thebes, only to be joined by Creon himself. Creon has taken control of Thebes as the now-dead brother's uncle, Jocasta's brother. And this Creon is, well, a a tyrant. He is setting laws that go against the will of the gods, and he's threatening with death anyone who dares to go against his laws. He's also very specifically talking about the all-powerful state and those who adhere to the state's laws, no matter what they might be. He's then joined by a guard who's serving as a messenger, there to tell him that the worst has happened. Someone has buried, ostensibly, the, bo- the body of Polynices. They've thrown a light dusting of earth. It isn't much, but it's a burial practice, and it shows that someone has disobeyed Creon, that they've shown care and mercy to the corpse of Polynices. The guard tells Creon that he and the others who had been set to watch Polynices' corpse to ensure this exact thing didn't happen, they all fought one another over whose fault it was. Quote, To each one, someone else was the culprit. No one was obvious, and everyone denied all knowledge. They would have physically fought, too, the guard explains. They came that close to blows. They knew how serious Creon was when he proclaimed this law. They knew the consequences for whoever it was that broke it, and none of them wanted to be there when Creon determined who it could have been. Quote, We were ready even to lift red-hot iron in our hands, pass through fire, and swear oaths to the gods not to have done it or to have any knowledge of the planning of the deed itself. The guard explains that he lost when they pulled lots, and that's why he is the one bringing this news to Creon. He does not want to be the one to do it, but he had no choice. Quote, No one loves the messenger of bad news. Before Creon can say anything after hearing this news, the chorus makes their own statement. They ask Creon if maybe, just maybe, this is actually an act of God? 
this is relevant. Even the chorus can't hide all of their feelings about Creon's decree. They may have been determined to side with him because they have little choice otherwise, but they're going to make their point. This is not something the gods would want to happen. The gods wish for proper burial for everyone. As you might expect, Creon doesn't take this well. Not the news of the act of mourning of Polynices, and definitely not this small suggestion of defiance by the chorus. He says, quote, Stop before your speech fills me with rage, and you be found foolish despite your age. Creon can't accept what they're saying. In his mind, the gods are on his side. The gods agree with him that Polynices' crimes are such that he is somehow outside of the tradition, that he does not deserve a burial. Creon continues and his speech becomes more and more tyrannical by the moment. He speaks of how most people reacted to his edict, how many people couldn't believe what he was decreeing, how they considered fighting against him and refused to bow to him, refused to submit. He suggests these very same men must have bribed his guards to let them mourn Polynices, thrown dust on his corpse in the act of burial. He goes on a tirade against these imagined slights, these imagined acts against him, suggesting that the, the wealth, the silver specifically, that allowed these men to bribe his guards is an evil, that it's ravaging cities and turning people against him, turning them evil. He finishes his tirade by announcing that if the guards don't find who disturbed Polynices' corpse and defied Creon, then, quote, Hades alone won't suffice for you until strung up alive you expose this arrogance. And after a petty back and forth between Creon and the guard, a stichomythia, where Creon once again shows that he is absolutely over the top and verging on full-blown tyrant, he leaves the stage. The guard remains just long enough to hope aloud that the culprit is found before announcing that either way, they won't be seeing him again. That was more than enough. And then he too exits the stage, leaving only the chorus of elder Theban men. The chorus sings of humanity. They sing of the wondrous acts of humanity, or as they say, man. They sing of humans sailing across the seas through stormy waves, of their abilities to till the soils of Gaia, quote, wearing down eternal, inexhaustible earth, the oldest of gods. They sing of humanity's ability to hunt, to trap birds and pull fish from the sea, of inventions and taming of animals, from horses to bulls being brought under the yoke. They sing of language and thought, of laws and cities, of the ingenuity of keeping themselves safe and happy, of all the wonders of humanity and all the many abilities of humankind. But, they sing, quote, From Hades alone will he make no escape, though devising refuge from incurable disease. Death comes for us all. They sing of the intricacies of good and bad, how sometimes through technology humans move closer to evil, but sometimes also closer to good. And they sing of laws, of justice and oaths, and how the cost for breaking such things is the loss of one's city, one's people. 
Quote, May he not share my hearth nor share my thoughts, whoever acts that way. Once the chorus has finished their song of humanity, which serves to also denote the passage of time, the guard returns to the stage, even though he'd just said he wouldn't be back. But he's not alone, and that's why he manages it, why he's not afraid to return. Because he's got Antigone with him. The chorus understands immediately. They wonder aloud, this is Antigone. There's no way that our eyes are deceiving, and that can only mean one thing. She has been caught. Quote, No, did they bring you here disloyal to the royal laws and caught in some foolish act? This is the culprit, the guard announces. This is the one who defied the laws. We caught her in the act. And where is Creon now? He asks the chorus. And just in time, Creon enters the stage, moments after the guard has spoken, and he asks what's happening. Has there been good news? The guard explains himself, even noting why it is that he's back standing before Creon so shortly after announcing he'd never be back there again. It's because he's caught her in the act. And the joy he has for doing so outweighs any fear that he had before. There will be no consequences for him now, only praise. He takes full credit for capturing Antigone, for catching her, adorning her brother's grave, mourning her brother. Quote, And now, my lord, as you wish, take her, judge her, convict her, but I am free, justly released from these troubles. Uh-huh, good for you, dude. Creon, though, isn't quite convinced. He wants confirmation. How did you catch her? He asks, to which the guard tells him that he's already made that clear. She was caught in the act. But do you understand the gravity of what you're saying? Creon clarifies. Oh yes, the guard replies. She was in the midst of burying the corpse when we found her. Haven't I made that clear? Creon, to his credit, really doesn't want to face that fact that that Antigone, his niece, one of the few remaining members of the royal family of Thebes, is the one who's been brought before him, accused of breaking this particular law. He asks again, How exactly did you see her? Did you catch her doing this? And so the guard explains, again, in detail. First, he explains how they handled Creon's threats, how they tried to do everything in their power to ensure that they didn't also meet with his wrath. They removed everything from the corpse, everything, leaving the poor man's body a naked heap on the dry ground. Like, quote, made the oozing body full naked. Oozing. Just imagine this. It's fucking horrific. Then, he says, they stayed a ways away from the body, upwind specifically to avoid the stench, because that's how badly this poor man is rotting, how inhumane Creon's decree was. Though obviously the guard says nothing about that, he's just telling the story. They sat away from the stench, out of sight, where they could just watch. They kept each other awake by all means necessary. They were not fucking with Creon, not risking anything happening again under their watch. They passed time until the hottest part of the day when, quote, 
Suddenly a whirlwind raised up a dust storm, grief from heaven, filling the plain, tormenting every leaf on the trees and stuffing the vast air full. The guard explains that they watched what he calls a divine plague, this dust storm that took over, obscuring their view and seeming to come from the gods themselves. When it finally clears, that's when they saw her, described as a a child. She cried out, wailing in her mourning, in her sadness, her grief, even worse when she saw the state of her brother's body, what they'd done to him, what the time left to the elements had done to Polyniques. She cried and cried and, quote, called out evil curses on whoever had done it. Then she began the tradition. She anointed the body and she poured libations to the dead and to the gods. When the guards saw her, they rushed at her, catching her because she didn't try to run, didn't even seem afraid of them. She was steadfast and didn't even try to deny what she'd done or to explain herself. And finally, hearing this, Creon turns to Antigone, and he asks her if she denies these claims. She replies, quote, I did it, and I do not deny it. Creon lets the guard go. He wastes no time in leaving the scene before Creon can show his anger. But Creon is still giving Antigone the benefit of the doubt. He's showing his humanity a little. Quote, Did you know that the burial was forbidden by proclamation? He asks. Of course, she tells him. It was obvious enough. And still you dared to do it? He confirms. To which, well, Antigone's going to speak a little bit. More about that fucking proclamation that Creon made. Her first line in response is, quote, I did not hear Zeus proclaiming it. She goes on to say that the goddess of justice didn't make laws like that for humanity, and because of that, Antigone didn't feel that Creon's mere mortal law was enough to stop her. It couldn't override the laws of the divine, the traditions that have lived for generations. She tells him that she wasn't about to risk punishment from the gods out of fear of a mortal man. She is clear. Antigone tells Creon that she knew and knows that this would cause her own death. Even if he hadn't made that clear in his proclamation, she's willing to die. She says, quote, Whoever lives among so many evils as I do, how can he not gain by dying? Antigone explains that her own fate means nothing. She won't grieve it. She would grieve if she had, quote, dared to leave my mother's dead son a corpse unburied. No, she won't grieve for this, won't grieve for doing what was right and good and what the gods wanted. And her final line, oh, her final line is so fucking good. Quote, If to you I seem to have done a foolish thing, perhaps I'm charged with folly by a fool. Perhaps I'm charged with folly by a fool. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Once Antigone has spoken this line to Creon, essentially calling him a fool for even considering this proclamation, for going against the will of the gods and tradition so brazenly, it's the chorus who speaks in reply to her, and once again with thinly veiled appreciation for her and against Creon. They say in response, quote, Clearly a fierce daughter from a fierce father. She doesn't understand how to back away from trouble. Now, I understand this is just the nature of the ancient Greek world and this time period specifically, and Athens even more so, to equate her with her father. But if we are talking fierce family members, it let's look a little bit closer at Jocasta. It's Sophocles who has Jocasta take her own life in response to the revelation about Oedipus, but that doesn't negate her ferocity, how she fought for a loving relationship after the death of Elias, how she protected her children... Anyway, this is a pro-Jocasta show, and I want to remind you all about Euripides' version of the aftermath. In the play The Phoenician Women, about a Jocasta who's survived, and she lives through this war between brothers. That episode I did is from uh, March 2021. Go listen. Anyway, I take issue with describing only Oedipus as fierce, but all the same, the chorus is showing support 
for Antigone in an important way. Though Creon seems unbothered at this point, he's far too focused on what Antigone has done. He explains that minds that are too stubborn can fall the hardest, that iron heated too hot can shatter, that wild horses can be tamed, and that, quote, a slave is not allowed big thoughts. Which just, oof, awful. Not sure if he's fully equating a woman with an enslaved person here, but in Athenian at this time, it's not that much different. This, he says, is proof that Antigone understood how her arrogance would affect her, what she was doing when she went against his laws, and how her arrogance now is even worse, how she is proud of what she's done. Which, I mean, she is, and I wouldn't call it arrogance. Creon says, quote, Now I'm no man, and she's the man, if this unchecked power lies with her. He's giving up the game here. Antigone is emasculating him, taking away the manhood he holds so closely that he's held on to since taking control of the city of Thebes. She's taken it from him, and it was too easy. And yes, now seems as good a time as any to mention that this translation is by a woman, a woman I've otherwise known primarily for translating Sappho, Diane Rayer. That said, the other translation I've looked at more closely says the same. She's the man. Which we'll get back to, because again, I have thoughts. Creon does not dwell on this line, but I wish he would. He moves on to remind himself and the audience that he and Antigone are related by blood. She is his niece, and he doesn't care. Doesn't care if she were even closer than that. All the same, she and Ismini will pay the price. And if you think this sudden blame and punishment of Ismini is coming out of nowhere, Creon doesn't think you're wrong. Quote, yes, I charge Ismini equally in planning this burial. He calls for Ismini to be brought to them, says he saw her recently inside, that she was, quote, raving out of her mind. Antigone here says nothing about this new blame being placed on her sister. She's still pushing back on Creon, saying essentially, well, you've caught me. What else do you want to do than kill me? Creon confirms he's got all he wants, and that is to kill her for what she's done. She supports this, telling him to hurry up and do it. Why delay? She tells him that nothing he says makes her happy, nor will it ever, and that she makes him even less happy. Antigone feels glorious. She makes that clear. She's buried her brother. She's done right by him, done right by the gods. She adds that everyone there would feel the same way if they weren't silenced by their fear of Creon. And then, quote, But kingship is fortunate in many ways, and it can do and say what it wishes. Which is when I remind you that Athens also had very strong feelings about kings. Particularly... In Sophocles' lifetime, this is a very anti-king play, and so and so many are. Or rather, anti-Tyrannos play. Basileus weren't really the issue. It's those tyrants who seize power and go against the will of the people. Basically, exactly how Creon is described throughout this play. Of course, he doesn't see it that way, and he tells Antigone as much. You alone think this way. There are no other Thebans who agree with you. He says. Nah, they do. They're just staying silent, is her reply. 
gods, I'm really breaking this down line by line. Like, I swear I always tried not to do that, but then scenes like this happen and it's unavoidable. And anyway, Creon now accuses her of being ashamed to think differently than the other Thebans, which is so interesting. And Antigone doesn't go for it. She's still confident in her choice to honor her brother in his death. Creon tries to suggest that by honoring Polynices, she's dishonoring her other brother, Eteocles. But Antigone doesn't see it that way. One does not negate the other. They fight about this for a while, another stichomythia, you all know how much I love to say that word, the word that describes the quick back and forth single line dialogue in moments like these, like a game of ping pong, stichomythia. Antigone isn't going for Creon's jabs, though. She knows what happened, knows the war and how it turned out. She doesn't care. She knows that it was right to bury her brother and to mourn him. And she knows that the gods would agree. That particularly Hades appreciates the tradition that required her to bury Polynices. More fighting, more jabs, and Creon ends it by telling Antigone to go down to the underworld herself now and love the dead. Quote, while I live, no woman shall rule me. Yeah, this Creon is a dick. Ismini joins the cast on stage. The chorus describes how she looks. She's been crying and her face is flushed. Her cheeks are wet. And you, Creon. Creon is a dick. Like I said, his first line is to call her a viper living in his house. Which I mean, number one, fuck you, Creon, because this was their house until their brothers killed each other and it became yours like really recently. That feels like an awful stretch of patriarchal bullshit to immediately accuse her of doing anything in your house. He just immediately suggests that Ismini is just as much to blame as Antigone, though he has no evidence, nor has anyone suggested she had anything to do with it. To me, it's just a reminder that he is the king, the new king with little actual claim to the throne, whereas these two sisters are literal princesses. They're the only two left from the royal house of Thebes. But they're women. And women, Creon wants us to believe, are schemers who are working against him. Because how could they not? What a message when you're the one without power, like Ismini is here. The younger sister who chose to preserve her life, who accepted that her lot was to exist as a woman in whatever way that means, whatever powerless life that was, even when she explicitly chose to toe the line and do what she's supposed to do and not do what Antigone does, she gets blamed and punished by those more powerful. This play certainly is a message about power dynamics, particularly political power. And Ismini, well, she just agrees. She sides with her sister and says that yes, if Antigone agrees, then she did indeed do it with her and she will take the blame that comes with it. Except Antigone won't let her take credit. She's still angry that Ismini wouldn't side with her originally. Ismini makes clear that she will happily accompany her sister in the punishment, that she will join her, keep her from being alone in her suffering. No, Antigone says, quote, 
Hades and those below witnessed whose deed it was. I do not love kin who are kin only in words. I am trying not to pass judgment. I'm really trying. Ismini really wants to help her sister to keep her from being alone in this. But Antigone just will not allow it. She'd rather remain bitter and angry at the only immediate family member that she has left. All because she was, at the beginning, trying to keep herself alive. Now that she realizes what her sister has gone through, Ismini's changed her mind. She agrees and is willing to die for it. But no, Antigone won't share in her glory, her martyrdom. Ismini asks, quote, How can life be dear to me, abandoned by you? And Antigone tells her to go to Creon, go talk to Creon, because he's the only one Ismini cares about. Ismini asks Antigone why she's so intent on hurting her when it doesn't help her fate. And, and finally here, Antigone's response betrays a bit of what's below the surface. She says that if she's mocking Ismini, she's doing so in grief, and that she wants her to save herself. That, quote, I don't begrudge you an escape. They keep speaking, and, and while I wish I could relay every line, I can't. But the affection between them does slowly show itself. Antigone reveals that her anger is based in grief and sadness, and that she does hope her sister gets to live, even if she must die for what she's done. Ismini, on the other hand, is grieving equally and, and living in her guilt at not agreeing to help Antigone in the first place. She feels the fault equally, just from the other side. And... After Antigone tells her sister to be brave, that she will live, but that her own soul, Antigone's, is long dead, that she chose that in order to honor the dead. After this, Creon announces, quote, One of these girls, I tell you, has just now shown that she's as crazy as the other has been from birth. And again, I say, this Creon is an enormous, monstrous dick. He and Ismini speak now, and Creon seemingly is still convinced that Ismini did this act with her sister, or worked with her in some way. Ismini, though, is focused on Antigone's fate, and what she'll do without her sister, let alone without her last remaining immediate family member. Gods know the uncle that she'll be left with won't make much for family. And it's here, in this conversation, that a certain other detail is revealed. Ismini asks Creon if he'll really kill the future bride of his own son. Because yes, Antigone was set to marry Creon's own son, Hymon. But all he says is, quote, There are other fields to plow. There are other fields to plow. <laughs> Ismini pushes this, but Creon doesn't budge. He's happy to kill Antigone for what she did. It doesn't matter that she was to marry his son, that his son might have some feelings about his father executing his future bride. Nope. All that matters is that Antigone went against his will, explicitly emasculated him, and for that, she will die. And so, Creon orders both Antigone and Ismene to be brought inside the palace to leave the stage, where he is left with the chorus, who begin their song. Quote, 
Blessed are those whose lives have not tasted evils. They sing of generational trauma, of the legacy of cursed families, of those who anger the gods and how that stays with them for generations. The crime lives on forever. They sing of the house of Oedipus, the family broken and destroyed by the curse. Quote, what man's transgression, Zeus, could restrain your power? And so they sing of Zeus and his anger, his will, of the radiant Mount Olympus where all the gods dwell, watching down and judging crimes, doing whatever they will, unaging while the earth grows old, while generations die. This chorus is existential in the most beautiful of ways. They are speaking of myth, but also of humanity, the bits of myth where humanity comes through the most, human desires and flaws. They finish their song, quote, As a wise man said in the famous proverb, evil can appear good to one whose mind a god leads to ruin. Then he has so little time without ruin. Oh, nerds, 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 how I fucking love a Greek tragedy. It is about time I cover this one, but I always forget how strongly people feel about it. Like not only this play, but the character of Antigone. And I, I do not feel particularly strongly about her personally, nor do I see her as this, like, I don't know, revolutionary character, I guess. This example of like an ideal strong woman in Greek myth. I don't know. I'm going to talk about it more next week because we need to experience the entire play before we can fully form these ideas, or at least I before I can. Obviously, you're more than welcome to disagree with me. And when it comes to Antigone, I foresee a fair few people disagreeing with me. Either way, at this point, I am I'm pretty pro-Ismini. But I guess we'll see how it goes. It's been years since I've read this play in its entirety. And other than what I've read for these episodes, as always, I'm reading as I go, which I think, frankly, makes it more fun for all of us. But it also means I change how I feel as I continue through. Remember Alcestis? Gods! <laughs> so next week, we'll just have to see how it all goes down, won't we? Either way, Greek tragedy is amazing and wonderful, and I could examine it and discuss it and break it down forever and be super happy because there's just so much there, so many stories and characters. And <sighs> Anyway, I thought to say uh, Antigone is not the be-all and end-all of Greek tragedy, no matter how many people may suggest that it is. There's too many other stories to hinge all our hopes and dreams on than just this one. Next week, the final episode on this Antigone series, I hope, and wrapping up all my thoughts and feelings on this. One of the most famous women of all Greek literature, if not the absolute most famous. Maybe tied with Penelope or Helen? I don't know. Whew. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians. She handles so many podcast-related things. Gods, everything. Just everything. Thanks, Michaela. <laughs> Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron, where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or click on the link in this episode's description. I am living. Fuck, I love this shit so much. <laughs> Thank you.
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.